Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Selma Hep, Chief Economist at CoreLogic, to talk about home prices and how migration patterns away from big cities are affecting prices across the country. We may have just gotten back from Gathering of Eagles, but we're not done with events for 2023 yet. This October, we're headed right back to Austin, Texas for Housing Wire Annual, and we want to see you there. We've got a power-packed agenda with content such as our Women of Influence speakers, peak performer playbooks, CEO playbooks, and more to propel your company forward, as well as a bunch of networking events. Because this event is open to real estate executives, mortgage title, and everyone in between, you really have the opportunity to network with people from all across the housing ecosystem. If you want to learn more about the event, or if you're already ready to get registered, head over to housingwire.com on the events tab and you can learn all about it. Not to mention, if you're an HW Plus member, you're going to get 50% off your ticket. So get registered for HW Plus and get registered for the event so we can see you out in Austin. Selma, welcome back to the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Oh, it is great to have you on. So you and I are here at the CoreLogic Core Connect Conference in a beautiful venue, let me just say, in California. Um, and you gave a talk about the state of homeownership that I really wanted to dig in on some of those details because it was really interesting. So the first thing I wanted to ask you about was home prices. Probably one of the most surprising things about this year with mortgage rates going up is that home prices didn't come down more. So what do you attribute that to? Right. So that was one of the things this year is we had so many surprises, you know, and uh, in terms of the labor market, I talked a little bit about that in terms of the consumer uh, resiliency, which actually feeds into home prices. So what we saw this year is home prices rebounding as soon as uh, February of this year. So f- home prices started to decline uh, in summer of last year after mortgage rates p- it started increasing uh, rapidly. And after seven months of declines, we saw a huge increase on a month-over-month basis uh, in terms of ho- uh, home prices. Now, Nationally. And so February, March, April, home prices were up uh, at, at times by double the rate that they usually are during this time of the year because there's seasonality in prices, right? Um, and so historically, it's not more than, like, say, 1% increase from February to March or March to April. But in April, it, you know, we saw as much as 1.6% increase in home prices. And really, the main reason here is inventory, right? What mortgage rate impacted uh, potential home buyers that also impacted potential home sellers. And, you know, both are sitting on sidelines still to some extent, more so <laughs> sellers than, than buyers. Um, and so, so you know, inventory is down. And, you know, one chart that I was showing is basically where inventory was coming out of the Great Recession or during Great Recession and where the inventory is now. And that's really contributing to huge a difference in how the housing market is playing out right now, because going into Great Recession, we saw we had some four million existing homes available for sale. Now we are at like less than a million, right? Four times lower, and the inventory of new homes for sale is only now catching up to the levels that where it was 
going into the Great Recession, because also the, during Great Recession, we saw peak or the highest levels of new construction. So there was a whole lot of inventory there at the time uh, that, you know, meant that there was no really a pr- price floor to be had. And home prices once when, you know, job market unraveled, uh, started declining precipitously and were down some 40%. This is not what we saw now. We saw Home prices declined, basically peaked to throth, only about three percent. Uh, you know, not not internationally, naturally, but but you know, there are markets, West Coast markets that is more, been more than that. But even with that, their ten percent or thirteen percent peak to throth, that was the biggest one in Seattle. I mean, that's so much lower than what we saw, you know, coming out of the Great Recession. So it's a really different um, set of fundamentals and play that's helping prop home prices right now. So you mentioned Seattle. We know that the, some of the West Coast markets have seen a little bit of price declines, right? right. But even in those, you feel like we've we've sort of hit the bottom and bounced back off. Yeah, yeah. So we, we track those. You know, right now we're laser focused to see, you know, where those markets go. And in many of them, we did see home prices rebound. So while that in Seattle, that peak to throat was um, 13%, now it's some 10% current to to that peak. So home prices have rebounded over the last few months in those markets as well. So basically, you know, there are very few markets left where we continue to see home prices declining on a month-over-month basis. So that's also when we think about those home prices, we're coming off of, it's not like, oh, compared to, you know, some really low year. I mean, these have been going up. So tell us where we are compared to say like 2019, which might be the most recent example of a quote unquote normal market. Right. So home prices have gone up some 40 percent since the onset of the pandemic. And, and, you know, in some markets, it's much, much more than that. Um, it, you know, before the declines on the West Coast or Mountain West markets like, like Idaho, you know, comes to mind because that was the, the, you know, Zoom boom market during the pandemic. Uh, home prices were up as much as 60 percent and now they have come down. But keep in mind that some markets actually have not even seen any declines yet. Uh, and, you know, think about like Florida markets that are still going strong. And uh, most recently, I was looking at home prices in uh, uh, like Lake, like a Bay Area of, of uh, Florida, and home prices there are up seventy percent wow. since the onset of the pandemic, right? So now, naturally, that puts those markets at risk of uh, potential home price declines going forward, just simply because they've gone up so much. But that's a huge, you know, that's almost doubling of prices in in a three three year period. It is crazy. Are there any markets that are, you know, have been more moderate all the way through? Yeah, yeah. So markets that um, just, um, well, where, where we saw a lot of migration from, like Boston was one, Chicago was another market, uh, even New York City, you know, was pretty flat and declined during the pandemic. Uh, but also markets that are sort of along the Midwest markets, those affordable markets, you know, uh, that you know, just don't usually hit the radar when you talk about big, uh, big cities across the U.S. Uh, that's uh, that. Those are the markets that didn't see, but are now actually seeing much stronger increase in home prices. Like Chicago, for example, Boston. Kishilo shows it more clearly just because it's narrowed down to twenty markets. So you know, you don't have like this whole. 392 markets to look at, which can sometimes be confusing, but. Um, Going back to the point that um, it's these markets that didn't see a lot of appreciation during the pandemic, um, 
that are now seeing a lot of appreciation. And those are the Midwest uh, and those are um, Northeast markets and just markets that sort of were on the low, down low during the pandemic. You know, that's, I mean, that's great in one way, but then you just think, where are the affordable markets? If, you know, I mean, we know that the coast, even if they've declined a little bit, it's not like most people can afford, you know, the median home on, on, in coastal markets, if then there's all this, you know, in the Midwest or or other places that weren't booming, where are the affordable markets now? Yeah, I mean, I think you know the theme here. What I'm gathering from from you know just where people are, um, where mortgage applications are going, where we see uh, more sales activity, it's this like secondary and tertiary markets in many of these more affordable states. So one thinks about. I'm, I'm trying to come up with a market here, Carolinas, right? And the big cities in Carol in Carolinas are now uh, very unaffordable because of the home price. But all the markets further out, you know, suburban, exurban, or even like just like I said, tertiary markets that are really small small town kind of markets. Uh, that's that's where the affordability really where you can now at the end find, find any affordability left. So, um, but you know. I would, you know, when, when one thinks about affordability, I would also say that, you know, people, wealth has grown, particularly during the pandemic too, but, you know, over these years of home price appreciation and wage growth and millennials starting to get paid for all the education that they had, you know, uh, gone through uh, uh, over, you know, last decade. So, you know, people in general have more money. I mean, not to say, you know, not to underestimate uh, the the heart, you know, the hardship for those who cannot afford, but just to make a point that there are still a lot of people who can't afford. And that's why uh, we see that pressure on prices build up a, a, a again. So, um, you know. So one of the things that we see, I mean, a good thing about that, listen, if you're a homeowner, if you've been a homeowner during this period, you have made out, right? It's something that Logan Motoshami talks about, something yeah. because you have had this fixed debt cost. But meanwhile, you know, your your house is appreciated. So we do see that we have a lot of people who have home equity. So what are you seeing with, what are they doing with that home equity right now? Yeah. So, you know, to give you some numbers on home equity, which every time I look at them surprise me because they're really high, right? On average, people have like some $274,000 uh, in, in equity in their home, a, a, a mortgage borrower has. So that's quite a bit. Coming out of the Great Recession, we were at about $74,000. So that means a fourfold fold increase in, in, in that available equity. Now, we did see home equity uh, authorization surge uh, in 2022 uh, before mortgage rates uh, went up quite a bit. But even so now, uh, when we look at 23 uh, authorizations in, in dollar volume, it still remains elevated compared to all the previous years coming out of the Great Recession because people do have so much, you know. And really, you know, and that was a theme, I think, through many uh, conversations at, at our at our event is that uh, mortgage originators are spending more time thinking about how to do this home equity loans. So people are tapping into them um, and they, they are using them for you know, maybe uh, an extension of, you know, maybe they give some down payment to their kids so they can buy their homes. Maybe they're buying a second home, you know, because if you have a $300,000 in equity and you take out only like 150 out of that, which is 50%, 
you can still put a huge down payment on another home in a more affordable market, right? I mean, you can play with the money here in, in a number of ways, but just to have that wealth means that, you know, people are employing it. No, I think that's a great point, but we we don't see people doing some, I mean, there aren't those kind of risky products where it's like, I'm going to take all, you know, use it like an ATM machine, right. especially now with, you know, rates going up, nobody's going to be doing that, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely true. I mean, I think, um, you know, lending standards ever since they tightened, we have yet to see any loosening, you know, maybe on the margin, uh, but but not not to any point where we would be concerned yet. Um, you know, we, we did see also increase in arms uh, or adjustable rate mortgages, which usually tends to worry people just because of what happened during the Great Recession. But even with those, you know, because they're locked in in such low rates, you know, and even if they're not locked, even if they're not originated now to 6-7% mortgage rate, uh, people are qualified at whatever max that rate could go at. So we're not seeing any funky, you know, funky product out there, which is really helping uh, stabilize the situation, right? It it just leads to more, less risk long-term, more sort of stability in the housing market. I I, I feel that way. We'll see. Hopefully I'm not wrong. (laughs) You know, you had a great panel. You had Sam Cater from Mm -hmm. Freddie Mac. You had Mike Fred and Tony from MBA um, and the three of you guys. So you gave a presentation, which was super great. And then they kind of jumped in too. And one of the things that they talked about was, the number of millennials, just that that demographic push and how that's helping us right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, we knew that coming into this period, you know, and we talked about it well into uh, 2020s, but then pandemic sort of threw everything out of um, perspective. And we thought, okay, now millennials won't be, but, you know, there was a lot of like what happens with millennials. Well, they're still there and there's still a huge number of them that are about to turn that first time home buying age, you know, being whatever, 33 or, you know, depending on the stat, but early 30s, there is like almost 15 million of them that are about to turn that age. And so they are wealthier than their previous generations because they have you know, done all the education, they, they make pretty great money, particularly if there is a double, you know, income household, they don't have a lot of kids, you know, and, and the other thing is, you know, the student loans were on deferral for all this time, so they could have accumulated even more uh, down payment, you know, so, uh, you know, we do worry about what happens with student debt going forward, and, you know, if some people fall off the edge because of it, but there is still huge chunk of people ready and able to buy a home and and they are actively looking right now. So, you know, what would you say to, you know, our audience is full of, you know, different kinds of professionals in housing, whether that's, you know, mortgage loan officers, real estate agents, title appraisal across the spectrum. And one of the things when you see this kind of home price appreciation is like, where, when is that going to stop? you know, can it just keep going higher or do you guys see like, okay, here comes the correction somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great point. I I do worry about home prices increasing at the pace they are, but uh, that monthly gain that I was talking about is plateauing at this point. And, you know, with mortgage rates, again, going up to 7%, I think we may see even more so of this plateauing. But what plateauing means just returning back to the average rate of monthly gains. So so we are seeing that. But what's interesting in our forecast, uh, the CoreLogic uh, 
uh, our HPI forecast is that we do see a more than average increase in HPI on a year-over-year basis through year end before it returns back to long-run average. So it overshoots that 4.5%, that's the long-run average, to about 6%, and then it goes back because, yeah, there is the affordability question here for sure. Um, And so I think, you know, there will be markets now that will correct a year down the road because of that. And I, and I mentioned, you know, we do worry at this point about some of the Florida markets that are overshot in terms of overvaluation. So, you know, it's it may be a something that's going to take a couple of years to play out, right? Uh, but I don't think it, it it's not sustainable. We can't see home prices just keep going like this. I mean, it's, it's there's going to be corrections depending on, but I think the corrections will depend on uh, migration patterns. You know, if you continue to see inflow of people going to Florida, um, you know, and those are tend to be retirees. They have income, they have cash, they can bid home prices higher. You know, that's at play as well. But in markets that mostly depend on their local residents for the uh, housing activity or home buying activity, that's where a lot of incomes and prices have to align better. I think that's a great point. Um, Sam's Some of Sam's presentation that mm-hmm. you guys did was his findings of like those out migration cities. You know, everyone thought, oh, everyone's going to Florida. Everyone's going to Texas. He was like, people are going those places, but people are also just going within one to two hours of where they were. So his example was Riverside, California is is the number one city where you see inflow, you know, migration into that, which I mean, that's outside of Los Angeles. Right. Mm -hmm. So they didn't go that far. Yeah, so that's the that, that's the interesting thing. Like we tend to generalize a lot of trends and we'll say, you know, everybody is going. Right. Well, not everybody is going, but you know, um so people do tend to stay still historically close to where they were. It's uh now that we do see when when um a migration does happen outside the area. It, ha- it tends to happen very far outside the area. So they sort of jump over a few states and, and land somewhere somewhere else. I, I think that the other point that, 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 that was obvious in, in his presentation, because it also showed trends prior to the pandemic as well as is now, is that, you know, we see continuation of trends that started before the pandemic. And even before the pandemic, we saw folks moving out of the very expensive areas and very urban environments to more affordable, to more uh, less dense areas, areas where they can, in fact, have like a single family home with a yard, you know. And and so and I think maybe demographics play a role here, because when you're a millennial in 20s, you have different wants and needs than when you're a millennial in 30s. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, they do have fewer children, but they eventually do have children, too. And then that's when, you know, the, this whole desire and, and, and then also working from home, you do need that extra bedroom to do this kind of thing that we're doing right now is is talking on the you know, Zoom, talking on the phone, talking on if you're going to be working from home three days a week or however many days a week. And so um, I, I think maybe just the concept of what home means is changed and that's driving some of these patterns as well. 
I think that's an excellent point that these things were in play before the pandemic, but obviously we, you know, we saw his chart. It, it, it's, it's definitely been going and then it just took this big leap during the pandemic, but it, it keeps going back. Like, like we see that this is the trend going forward, just like the trend has been that people stay in their homes longer, right? That has been going, that has been increasing for the last decade mm-hmm. at least. And yet some of these things just feel like they got bigger all of a sudden, or we started paying attention to them maybe. And I think the migration story is one of those where it's like, you know, where did people go? Where are they going to end up? And and we have seen some people go and then come back, right? Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And I think that's why some of the markets uh, that saw declines in home prices when mortgage rates spiked is a reflection of that sort of reversal, not necessarily reversal, but not as as many people coming into the area. I, I would say like Idaho, for example, being Idaho is one area where we've seen one some of the largest declines and we continue to see monthly declines. And I think it's because the area benefited from people coming in with larger incomes, more spending power, pushed prices way over what local residents can afford. And now those prices are adjusting. So, you know, to bring it back to migration, yes, some folks left temporarily. And we also, you know, for example, we can see that in our single family rent index because single family rent is one of those um, segments of the market that really benefited from uh, my, from pandemic because people will, could move anywhere and and they moved, you know, they in search of amenities, in search of being outside and and so, and those that, that can move are usually higher income folks. And so we saw the highest rent tier grow mo- more during the pandemic than lower tier. And now it's slowing faster than the lower tier. Same thing for prices. Higher tier price growth was higher during the pandemic than now. Um, and it speaks to uh, those who move out of necessity versus those who move out of convenience or desire to try out something new. That is a great insight. I think that's really driving it. Well, when you guys look at you know, like your forecast, you, you talked about, you know, looking out over the next year, but we know we're coming into not just for from an inventory perspective, but from a pricing perspective, there's that seasonality you mm-hmm. talked about. So what does the fall look like? Like just, you know, not not two years from now, but like, what do we expect this fall? Yeah, well, so we've had a couple of normal years, but I'll say in a normal year, uh, we would see home sales activity uh, slow in the fall. But really the way it happens is it peaks in May, June, uh, and then slows during the summer, July and August, because people tend to go on vacations. And historically, it picks back up in, in September and October, and then really falls off in, uh, you know, the winter months. So if we do, in fact, are returning to those to those normal years or normal seasonality, that's what we would expect to see. Now, I will say that this year has been a little bit of a you know, we, we, so we had a really disappointing spring, right? Where we had mortgage rates, particularly over the last month or so, go up as much as seven percent again, and it really slowed that home sales that that seasonal peak that we would see during during that time. So, so I think it's going to be a disappointing year. Now, say if mortgage rates come down faster, you know, in fall, I think that could be a really boom activity. But, you know, it's not guaranteed that's going to happen. You know, there's 
you know, if we get into the Fed conversation, then it's a whole <laughs> different, you know, an hour conversation. But but it is, you know, we do all expect home uh, mortgage rates to remain elevated. So, you know, it's unlikely scenario. But if they do come down, it's potentially possible to see uh, home sales activity spike up again in the fall. I think it's fascinating because, you know, we're talking about, it's not like there's booming demand, but there's just so little inventory. It's all of those factors together. So there's not enough inventory. There's enough demand to just keep prices high, even though mortgage rates are high. It's it's an insane market. But Soma, thank you for being on and helping us understand it more. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me again, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.